Take a look at uh, Ecclesiastes 3. That's in the Old Testament. So take a look at Ecclesiastes. Hopefully you have your uh, Bible uh, with you on some iPad or iPhone or the old-fashioned way. It uh, looks like this. Uh, it's about that thick and has a goal. So just, you know, in case it's been a while for some of you. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3, verse uh, 11, and it really deals, this is where in the Bible where you see uh, it says there is a time for everything. Uh, some of you, many of you have read it, a time and a season for every activity under heaven, and it goes on and talks about a time to die, time to be born, time to tear down, time to build up, and time to refrain and a time to give up, a time of war, a time of peace, etc. But there's a really, really, really uh, scripture of emphasis that's down there in verse number uh, 11. And this is what it says, He, talking about God, has made everything beautiful in its time. And this is the key text. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. He's also set eternity in the hearts of men. And that's uh, really something interesting to, to talk about as we deal with the text, uh, text today. So pray that God will give you wisdom and guidance and, and anointing. How many uh, have ever had to go to a laundromat lately? May I see your hand? Like, a laundry, like your dryer broke down? Sharon's dryer broke down. And um, it's been about a week since it broke and I, I was elected to go to the laundromat. That's been 49 years because uh, the part didn't come in. Um, I like to people watch. How many of you just like to observe people, watch people? I mean, you, you go to the mall. You know, I, I gave someone a hug last night in a particular place of business. I said, well, where are you headed now? Well, we're off to Walmart. I said, oh, I said, yeah, we're just going down there to watch. I thought, well, that's a, that's a good place to go watch. You know, down at Walmart, they go to the mall, just watch people. But uh, I, it's been 49 years since I went to, to Walmart, I mean, to laundromat. And, uh, I mean, they have those bazooka dryers, her, her, her washer worked, but her dryer didn't. And I died to the clothes. And, I mean, you see, I mean, it's amazing what you see in the laundromat. I thought, and, I mean, they fold, they fold their clothes. It's like, you know, and some of those women that were in there, there are a couple men, it's like, the whole world knows your business. You know what I mean? I mean, they're, they're, some of those ladies take underwear, flap it out. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you ain't never going to get in those right there. I promise you. There's no, there's no way it's going to take a miracle from God for that to happen. <laughs> and then another woman's over there. She's flapping out. I thought, hey, should be no problem for you right there. You know, <laughs> those go all the way down to your knees. But anyway, <laughs> Uh, so on that little folding table, they have, they have the edge. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about, do you? They have the edge, a flat table that has a little lip on it about that high. Uh, I, I, folded, I folded my stuff. I never got higher than the edge. You know, it's like, you know, I don't want you ain't taking a look here, buddy. Uh, this kind of thing, it's just kind of, kind of be private. And I thought, it's un unbelievable experience. I try every week to tell you a little something. I got a whole lot more that happened to me this week, but I'm just going to kind of 
and stick with that for a few minutes. Um, Eugene Peterson, a great uh, writer and a great uh, theologian, said he was visiting. It's a true story, a monastery, and uh, he said the monks, of course, monastery where the monks study. And he said uh, we had a break at lunch and we were going to uh, what we call the cafeteria and. I noticed that in the graveyard that you could easily see on the little path toward the cafeteria was an open grave. He said, I asked my guide, who was the monk uh, there, uh, well, who recently died? And he said, no one. He said, well, why do you have an open grave? He said, we're just waiting for the next one. (laughs) So every single day, three times a day, those individuals that live there walk by the grave knowing I could be the next one. They already have the grave open. And you say, well, that's, uh, that's kind of a, that's a sobering thought, and it is. Uh, but it does bring us to the point to believe that life is short, and we're going to talk about that. Woody Allen wrote, I don't mind the thought of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> well, we can all be that way. Ecclesiastes said, God has set, now, now make this real, God has set eternity in the heart's of men. A professor at Yale University did some study on the history of eternity as it relates to the human race. And he said, to show you the amount of time that you have as human beings on the planet, not just you, but the entire mass population since day one creation, he said, if you were to take a clock and do the 12 hours, which is what's on most clocks. By the way, you're going to have to reset your clock next week, remember? He said, here's what time it would be. It would be 11.59 minutes, 59 and 3 tenths seconds. In other words, here's the massive amount of time that the human homo sapien population of the world that you have taken up as it relates to what some would call a time frame of eternity would be a mere seven seconds. We look at life and we think, I might live forever, and in fact, you will live forever. But we know that our time is indicated by Scripture is brief. And it says that God has set eternity in our hearts. And he says, but here's what eternity looks like on this planet here and now for you. It is a vapor. So you can take all your plans, you can take all your dreams or the lack thereof, and you can know that in a moment's notice of vapor, that it's gone. You do not exist as a part of the living population here on earth. When you think about that and you say, God has set eternity, this is what it means. You, my friend, cannot end your existence in eternity. You cannot end your existence in eternity. You can end your life in this body. You can end your life in this body, 
or the rapture will take place and end this life in your body, or death will come and will end your life in this body, but you will never be able to end your existence for all of eternity. Which means in that scripture, he has set eternity in the heart of every man. Here's what he says. You will enjoy eternal life or you will live under the curse of eternal death. And you have the privilege of choosing that. He said, where real life lives. He said, when you begin to think about that vapor, you begin to think about where you live, he said, then it might cause you to begin to prioritize those things that you consider a, a priority in your life. What is it? What is it? What is it that I prioritize? Now, yesterday I was at the soccer field, so my couple hours watching a little granddaughter play soccer. She, she got two goals, and I thought, that's good. It's the way to go. The bottom line is, Sharon turned and said, how many of these thousands of people you think will be in church tomorrow? Well, I know what the stats are. And the stats are less than 10% of any gathering attend a worship service on a regular basis. Now, what does that say? Because we'll go all day long on Saturday prioritizing the kids, prioritizing things that mean something to us, prioritizing, doing all the things for this life here and now and then. But today, today we're so dog-tired, we're just going to need to sit and enjoy our time together. And God will be out of the equation. Well, why is, would you say that? Because this church, any church that honors Christ, is the bride of Christ. And I told the group in prayer before the first service this morning, how do you think God feels when his saints come into his house and begin to worship him? How important is it that God in his infinite knowledge knows that today is not the Sabbath, that was yesterday, but today the Bible calls this the Lord's day. And God must look down at a humongous amount of individuals and said, I've given you favor, I've given you blessing, I've given you health, I've kept my hand on your kids, I've kept, uh, kept you in a job, I have fended for you things that you don't even know. And when it comes my day, show me what the priority is. Show me. And so as we learn in this message this morning that we have the privilege now, some people get carried away and said, well, what is eternity? The Bible said that in the beginning, God created the heavens and what? The earth. Say it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the beginning. What book is that found in? The book of Genesis. First book of the Bible. First book of the Bible, Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, God, where were you at all of those years? Someone asked St. Augustine this question. What was God doing before he created the heavens and the earth? St. Augustine, can you tell me what was God doing before he created the heavens and the earth? And Augustine replied, this is true. You can read it. He was creating hell for people who ask questions like that. 
That was gumption right there, buddy. You know what? I don't get bogged down on what God was doing. I don't get bogged down with time and the dinosaurs and all. I don't get bogged down in that. Here's what I do know. I've got my life. I want to live it between the margins. And I want to say, God, I know you as my Lord and my Savior. And you're the most important thing in my life. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. And friend, if I get that right, I don't have any time to be bothered about. Come on, put your old hands together and help me a little bit. So what was he doing? Well, here's what we find. It says that God was enjoying the community and the relationship with the Trinity. The Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. So God says, hey, now I'm, this is, I'm paraphrasing, okay? I'm, I want something more. I, I see Holy Spirit. I see Jesus. And, and how do you express love if you're the triune God and Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all have their places in the dispensation, but God said, my love is so great, I want to give more. So here's what he did. I'm going to create man. I want to create man. Why? We know what the Bible says. The Bible says that God created man. It says that God and Adam walked in the cool of the day in the garden and had relationship. God said, wow, what a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to create man. Well, he didn't come out of gold. He came from what? The dust of the earth. But man said, I need somebody who can find the ketchup bottle in the refrigerator. And God said, again, I'm paraphrasing, how about a woman? A woman can see things that a man cannot see on a regular basis. What are you looking for? Oh, nothing. Well, now what are you looking for? Well, I'm I'm looking for a ketchup bottle. It's in there. Well, there it is right before your eyes. It's right there. Oh, I was thinking about a bigger picture because I thought the ketchup bottle was a, you know, a big bottle like that, not, not a little bottle like that. God created woman, and all the men in the church said, amen. 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 Smile when you say it. Amen. Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Nothing wrong with laughing in church, friend. If you don't like to laugh, you're in the wrong place here. <laughs> Wonderful heart. So then here's what we have. That there was the tree of life in the garden. So when God created man, God gave us gifts. And God gave man a personal relationship with himself. God deliberately created mankind so that we could have a relationship with the Lord. We could have an intimate relationship with Jesus. At this time, it was with God Jehovah. The second thing that we have a gift of is this. We were made to have, have an authentic community with other human beings. If you don't like people, 
move out to the green swamp. People are important to God. If you love God and you don't love people, your love is shallow. Well, some people are just nuts. Look back in your own genetic makeup, buddy. Back there somewhere, I promise you. The point is that relationship that we have. God says, how do I get them all together? He created the church. You come together with people of like faith. You enjoy relationship. We enjoy, it says, man appreciated the woman, and it says that, that they were one. They were naked and not ashamed. You're thinking body. No, it meant that they were together and they understood in a way, one another. Number three, God gives man work to do to develop and enhance created order. So God said, I created it, but you get to be a part of it. How many of you, how many of you had chores around your house when you were growing up? May I see your hand? How many of you give your children job assignments or chores to do? Get them up real high. How many of you think that's healthy for them? Amen? It is healthy for them. Absolutely, and it's important. So here's what God did. God said, I want a relationship with you. That can be an intimacy. I want you to appreciate other creations. That's people of God. And then I want to give you a purpose. So he tells Adam, he said, I want you guys to come over here. It's all up there in Scripture. And uh, these animals that I'm creating, I want, you to, I want you to name the animals. Isn't that what the Bible says? It's like buying your little girl a little baby doll and said, sweetheart, what are you going to name your little baby doll? Now, I don't think it's wise if you buy your son a little baby doll, maybe a hero character or something like that. But what are you going to name the baby? Or you get a pet, you get a dog, and you say, what are, what are we going to name our dog? Dan's dog is Scout. That's what he named his dog scout. Well, what would you like to name this animal? God must have asked Adam. Now, this is in the early days, Ray, of passion, and we're going to come up with some good names. I, I think we ought to name that one Hippopotamus. God said, okay, that's a good start, Hippopotamus. Okay. Now, what about this one? Well, maybe we ought to name this one Duckbill platypus. What, what did you say? Duckbill platypus? How many knows what a duckbill platypus is? Duckbill platypus. You see, it's a semi-aquatic egg-laying mammal. <laughs> I'd rather be me. <laughs> Amazing. Located in eastern Australia. Well, after a while, you get weary and well-doing. We've named animal after animal after animal. They must have gotten to the end, and they're out of names. You know what I'm saying? You're out of names. So, all right, here's one. What are you going to call this one? Oh, dog. <laughs> Not much creativity there, is it? Well, how about this one? Okay, cat. Oh, that's good. We're getting to the end of the line. So, dog, cat. So, God's intimate relationship gives us community with other people and also gives us relationship that we have a purpose. Now, here's the deal. In that timeline that you have life here, 
and life is in your body, what is your purpose? So we find something interesting in Genesis 2, verses 8 through 10. Now the Lord God had planted a garden east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from. Now, to eat from the tree of life meant that you, would, you don't face death. You're eating of the tree of life. The Scripture actually compares that to Jesus. Jesus says in Hosea, I am the green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. So we know the gospel story. We know the gospel story, story started in Genesis In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and He created man. He created a mate for man. He created the animals, everything above the sea, everything below the sea. God created. And that is Genesis, the tree of life in Genesis. All right? Now, but there is a tree of life mentioned in Revelation. At the end of the chapter, and here it is, Revelation 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The throne of God, in verse 3, and of the Lamb will be the city, and His servants will serve Him. So here it is. In the garden... You had the Garden of Eden. It was a garden. What was the potential for Adam? In the Torah, it says the priest was to serve and to guard. The priest had qualifications that he was obedient to the master. Here's what happened to Adam, the first Adam. Now, you, you enjoy yourself here, Adam you and Eve. But let me tell you, there's one tree that you're not to eat of. And it's that one right there in the center. There's plenty of fruit, everything else you're ever going to need, but don't touch it. And Adam failed, which meant he lost his qualification to be able to serve and manage in the garden. The garden. Over in Revelation, it says, and the throne of God is in the city. In the city. Now, and in the middle was the river. What was Adam's responsibility? Build and manage And in Revelation, it's not a garden, it's a city. Just stay with me. And Adam failed, sin came in, creating all kind of havoc. And the promise of eternal life died by the power of sin and the fulfillment. Why? Abraham and his people believed, but died not having seen the promise. How shall we ever 
see the promise because sin broke. And that brings us to something that is extremely important because we know that, that there is another cross. It, it says that this city that we call heaven, eternal life, was built, and Paul writes in Scripture, creation groans with eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. In other words, he says, the earth itself knows that there is an end and a beginning, a place we call heaven. And that in that place, there's no sorrow, there's no tears, there's no sickness. In that place, intimacy is restored. In that place, there is community, and it says that you and I will reign forever. But right now, here's where we're caught. We're caught between the tree in Genesis and the tree in Revelation, and it's called life. And God says, and it's a vapor. It's a vapor. So he says, now, if you understand that it's 1159 and 59.3 seconds, and you got seven seconds. What are you going to do with your seven seconds? Will it matter how you raise your family? Will it matter whether or not you figure out what the disciplines are of being a follower of Jesus Christ? Will it matter what your priorities are? Are you living for the here and now and for this life, which is only a vapor? Or are you really living in a way that since eternity is already in your heart, are you living in a way that you can have the fulfillment of living in the presence of God? Yesterday, soccer field, a lot of wonderful people. Some of our people were there. But the majority, not living that way. How do you know? Because the Bible makes that observation. Look at the number of your friends who didn't show up for church today. People that you work with. Why? They don't know anything about what's happening between the tree and the garden and the tree and revelation of heaven, they think they have time. So how do we get there? There is a third tree, and it is the tree in which Jesus hung on. And we understand that the Bible says about that tree that cursed is the man that is hung on that tree. That that man took the sins of fallen Adam, took the sins of depraved culture, and when he was nailed to the cross, bore that sin your sin so that you and I could have eternal life forever when does eternity start okay get ready try this out this is something that I 
learn to drill down. Eternity has already started for you. Eternity has already started for you. The day that you were born, your eternity started. The day that you were born, the Word of God gave you options and said, how shall you live this vapor? Eternity started because, here's the bottom line, eternity is either eternal death Eternal disobedience, eternal I forgot, eternal I didn't understand the value of time, eternal I didn't know that it mattered that much, eternal of self-service, eternal of selfishness, eternal death of pride, eternal I didn't want to. Those things will damn you as opposed to eternal life. Not my will, but thy will be done. I want to live in my vapor as if I'm living in my eternal life. When you live that way, no one will have to tell you to go to church. When you live that way, no one will have to tell you the value of reading your Bible. No one will have to tell you the value of praying. No one will have to tell you the, the value of committing your life to Jesus, fulfilling the Great Commission. Because if you're living in eternal life, you will do the things that are the fruit of that relationship. And so here it is. This is Jesus. What is eternity? It is defined in Jesus' prayer right here. And here it is in John 17, Jesus' prayer to the Father. He says, now this is eternal life. This is it. You want to know the definition? This is it. This is eternal life that they may know you. Eternal life is not time. Eternal life is found in a person. And lived out in time, you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Read it again. Now, this is eternal life. That's the definition. That you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If you know that, if you live that, you have eternal life. If you don't. You have eternal death. Well, I like the Burger King slogan. I like it my way. I will dictate to God. Ananias and Sapphira tried it. It didn't work. Peter thought he would try it. Though he didn't understand it, it was his nature that was not totally dedicated. It was his strong will. I will die for you, he said. I've got the eternal life. Jesus said, you better be careful. It's not by might nor by your power, your will, or your determination. You think you're in control. You're about to go, and all you're going to do is face a few women around a fire. And this big man called Peter crashed. Denied knowing Jesus. And you slang and curse words. And not until Jesus reached out to him. Peter, do you love me? Can you imagine that? He understood what was it. He said, I've got this eternal life. But listen, I'm not yet, I'm, I'm, I'm not, 
I have totally leaned on you. And when he did not lean on the understanding of what Jesus told him, he crashed. Now, we're all going to crash. No, nobody is perfect here, right? But you know what we don't get? We don't get to consistently be the same person that we used to be. Amen? You grow. You get better. You understand, even in the weak moments. So here's what he, he says. This is what we all want. If you want, eternity happens in that relationship with Jesus. It's defined right there. Here's what I want. I love Psalms. Psalms 1, verse number 3. And what it says in Psalms 1, verse number 3, he, the man, the person who trusts God, the man who lives eternal life in his heart, the man who says, hey, I'm all in. I'm there. I'm going I'm I'm, I'm to give it my best shot. Am I perfect? No. But I'll tell you what, Pastor, you're not going to have to ask about me because I know the church is important to you. That's, that's important. What's important to you is important to me. So here's what I want. I want Psalms 1-3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. He said, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. How about you? Do you want to prosper? Raise your hand. Do you think the unbelieving world out there wants to prosper? Sure they do. But they're thinking prosper in this vapor they're blind to the fact that there's a whole lot more life that's not within the bounds of that vapor that's called eternity. Why do you think Peter and Paul and others were slapped and persecuted and cursed and beaten and their backs clawed with teeth and, and iron fragments and they still stood it because they thought this is just a brief period. One day it will be over. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more tears, no more brokenheartedness, no more knee transplants. There won't be any other bankruptcy. There won't be any worry. There won't be a headache. There won't be an April 15th. Somebody say amen. There'll be peace and joy, and that which started in Eden will be restored in the city and the city of heaven by the grace of God. That's why people that are ready to go don't mind dying, amen? They don't mind dying because they know when they breathe their last breath here, their next breath is going to be breathed in the presence of God. What do we do? We have a purpose. The animals are already named. The animals are already named. We, don't, we can't name another animal. Oh, that's a hippopotamus. But here's what God has said. I've called you to a higher purpose. I want you to help me get the names of those who are non-believers that are not in the book of life. I want you to help me get their name in the book of life. That is your purpose. Live your eternity out so that you bring pleasure to the heart of the Father. The Bible says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree the third tree was the cross of calvary the angels declared he is risen and when he rose said he visited the torments of hell and preached 
to those in captive and every demonic spirit and walked out of there with eternal life for you and me. Put your hands together and let's just thank Jesus, would you? Would you stand? Father, we praise you and we declare, we declare your glory on this earth. Now, we know as we just take a quick look at ourselves that we're not perfect and we've done things that, that we're ashamed, we've sinned, and we've missed the mark. But the beauty of your love and your mercy, your grace is sufficient. And we can't go along all the time taking for granted the pleasure of having the eternal life because here's what the Bible says, the enemy of eternal life is sin. And when sin has not been redeemed, through if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, then I receive forgiveness. There is a plan in which God uses. So we ask you to convict all of us. Conviction is the love of God initiated by the Holy Spirit to identify a need in our lives that God desires to fix. So God, you're in the fixing business you're in the forgiving business today. We pause for a moment and we pray for family and friends that we know. We're not judging, just judge. But we don't see the fruit of life. We don't see an anxiousness about the love of God. We see so many times other decisions that take priorities, that take away from what is ordained of God. God, we take away from that. We pray for them. We don't want them to be blinded. We want to live in a way that we're not ashamed of this gospel. That God, we don't want to contain you under a bushel, so to speak. We want to let the world see the love of Jesus because everyone, everyone has eternity in them. And until Jesus, you forgive them. That eternity is death. But when you forgive them because you were cursed on the cross, they now have eternal life and will live with you forever in heaven. Meet every single need just in case. For those of you watching online and those of you in the audience, would you just repeat this prayer with me right now? Everyone together, dear Jesus, Jesus forgive me. I have sinned. I made bad judgments. And I need forgiveness. I have messed things up. And I realize that. But I am so thankful that you died for me. And I confess. And I believe right now I am forgiven. I want to live eternally in heaven with you. But Father God, I want to live for you now in this vapor in which I live. Give me strength. Give me understanding. Give me peace. And let me exercise faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See, there it is. That's eternal life. I pray that if you need healing, James 5, 14, talks about that healing. I pray that if you need healing or just maybe the Lord laid this on my heart just now. Maybe you've got family or friends or a specific person that's not right with Jesus. If they don't get right 
and you happen to be the most influential person in their life, if you don't exercise that influence, what kind of hope do you think they have? That's how valuable you are to them, and they don't even know it, but you do. So maybe you just want to come and stand in for them and say, God, faithfully, I'm walking as if they're going to walk that aisle, and I'm going to pray for them because I'm believing eternal life is going to be a part of their life. Or you're sick in your body and you need a miracle. You, you just need a touch from the Lord. You come right now. Verse 14, chapter 5. Anyone sick? Call on the elders of the church. Pray, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And offered in faith, it will make the sick person well. So as we sing this song, I'll give you the benediction in just a moment. You come right now as we wait on those who want to respond. You prayed that sinner's prayer. You come on down.